Hello, welcome to the I'm Hicksited podcast. In case you've been confused about how this podcast is spelled, it's I'm space Hicksited, H-I-C-K-S-I-T-E-D. I'm your host, David Hicks. So thank you for watching this video or tuning in to this podcast, whatever you are doing. For those of you watching the video, you, you can see I'm wearing, uh, again, my pray, hashtag pray for Jay t-shirt that is for Jackson I go. He's been in the Cincinnati uh, Children's Hospital for four months now. He's about, he's 19 years old. He has suffered from intestinal disease that has been extremely painful. And, and this has been going on not for four months. This has been going on for a couple of years. He's just been in the, his latest stint in the hospital has been for four months. So obviously he's been in tremendous suffering. And so for him, for his dad, Josh, his mother, Elizabeth, his sister, Morgan, I asked if you could please pray a prayer for them. They, they are suffering tremendously. So you may also be suffering tremendously or have suffered tremendously in the past. And it may be why you're wondering, does God love me? Does God care about me? Does God love the people I love? Does he care about them? Does he love us? Those are the questions that are some of the most important to ask in life. And it deserves a long series, but in this video, I'm just going to try and throw out some things to think about because you may be going through a crisis or about to go through one, or maybe someone you love is. And so I just want to try and throw out some things to think about as far as does God really love you? Or does God really love the one that you are worried about or concerned about? So the first thing I want us to think about, as far as evidence goes for God's love, is that we are his children. We are his children. Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, Bible's a collection of many books, but in the very first book, it explains how God created the entire universe. He did it in six days, rested on the seventh, and yes, there is evolutionary theory out there. The shortest take I can give you on it in this video is just that Trust God. Uh, there's plenty of evidence that he did exactly what he said he did. And, so, and I'll leave it at that. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he, it's the sixth day he's created everything else, and he's finally got to the point where he wants to create people, mankind. So verse 26, he says, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now, he's speaking in the plural. So let me first explain that. John chapter 1 in the New Testament is written by one of Jesus' best friends, John the Apostle. John explains that Jesus helped make everything. So God and Jesus are doing this together. Possibly the Holy Spirit is helping them create things as well. He's at least the Holy Spirit is present in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And so God is speaking, and, and again, a minimum to Jesus, and he says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over, the, all, the, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Uh, humor a side note, when I go fishing, apparently the fish don't know that I rule over them. But anyway, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then I'm going to skip uh, for time's sake to the very end. 
Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God created us in his image, in his likeness. But what does that even mean? Well, fortunately, if you just go a few chapters down to Genesis chapter 5, we get a picture of what that means. It, it, it helps explain it. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. Now, Adam was that first man that God made. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. At the time they were created, he blessed them and called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, and they lived super long back then, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. What did it say? Adam had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. We are God's children. That's what it means when it says God made mankind in his image, in his likeness. We are his sons. We are his daughters. The prophet Isaiah said, the Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter and all we are the work of your hand. All we, God, you are our father. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, uh, the apostle Paul is trying to explain the good news about Jesus, about the son, um, Jesus the unique Son of God that we'll talk about shortly. But in Acts chapter 17, you have to forgive me, I have lost one of my markers. He is at the city of Athens. And there, beginning in verse 22, he says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and observed your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Remember, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own pop poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul is testifying that what your own poets have said and that we are God's offspring, we're his children, is true. Verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Remember these days, and it still exists in the world today, I've seen it myself, that there were lots and lots of idols. People, their idol worship was everywhere. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That means to make, to, to decide to stop doing our own thing and, and follow God, obey God. For he has set a day when we, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So we are God's children, and God has set everything, the boundaries of the nations and and, and our appointed times and things like that, in the hopes that we will seek him. Now, in and of itself, saying that we're God's children doesn't mean that God loves us, because unfortunately, we have proof in this world that sometimes parents don't love their children. But when you look look at God and look what he has done for us, there is no doubt that he is a father who loves his children on an immeasurable level. Think about parents when they're excited to have a child, uh, for the, you know, especially the very first child. They, they, if they have a room in the house, they, they go around and they, they get it all fixed up because they're so excited about this child to come. God created an entire universe for us. An entire universe. That's what he prepared for us. His children. So yes, he loves us. But that's just one evidence, one piece of evidence. Uh, He provides for us, whether we love him or not. I don't have time to look at Acts chapter 14. We'll go straight to Matthew chapter 5, okay, because this is a teaching of Jesus. I encourage you to read Acts 14. It emphasizes that idea that even in our ignorance, God has been providing for us. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, I'll give you an example of how Jesus did this. When Jesus was dying on the cross, when he was being murdered, okay, they nailed him to to wooden planks to, to stay there till he died. He asked God to forgive the people who were doing this to them because they did not know what they were doing. He literally practiced what he preached right here in praying for those that were persecuting him. And when we do this, he says, you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, how strange would it be if the sun only showed that there were just little varieties of sunbeams coming down from the sky, shining only on people that followed God? It shines for everyone. What, how strange would it be if, if you know, you've got a bunch of farms and it only rains on the, the fields of those who follow God, follow Jesus? It doesn't happen that way. God gives the sunshine and the rain and what we need to survive to everyone. So if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that sentence is a very intimidating sentence, but in the context, how is Jesus defining perfection? He's defining perfection as loving people who don't love you. Letting your love going beyond what the normal love is, where you love people who do love you. And here, perfection is defined by, I'm loving people who are mean to me, who are not nice to me, who are unkind to me, who may be persecuting me. That 
is how Jesus is defining perfection. And that is how he wants us to love others because it's the way he loved us. It's the way he loved us. So that's other evidence. Thirdly, he sends his prophets to warn and teach us. Brief history. In many years, thousands of years before Jesus, there was a man named Abram. And God saw this man, Abram, and he saw that Abram was a man of faith. And he blessed Abram, changed his name to Abraham, changed his wife's name to Sarah, gave Abraham a, a, a son named Isaac. Isaac had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. God, of those two, God's promises that he gave to Abraham and Isaac, he also gave to Jacob. Didn't give those same promises to Esau, but he gave them to Jacob, changed Jacob's name to Israel. Thereafter, Jacob's descendants were called the Israelites or Hebrews, later Jews. And so I, I tell you that, I'm trying to remember why I told you that. Okay, because one of the promises that God gave them was that he would give their descendants the land of Canaan, the land that comprises the eastern border of the Mediterranean Sea, think Jerusalem and its surrounding area. God promised to give that to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. And he, and he did so. He fulfilled that promise. And so the Israelites lived there, but they became evil, corrupt. They kept rebelling against the Lord and following other gods and doing all sorts of other evil, despicable things. And so God was going to have to punish them. And God warned them time and time again through his prophets that punishment was coming. And so we finally read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 14. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. There was a temple in Jerusalem dedicated to God. They turned it into a place uh, uh, for other gods. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. So God sends, sent us the prophets to tell us and warn us about, uh, we'll tell them and warn them about God's wrath because, you know, as any child has done, sometimes we do things that anger our parents. Sometimes we do things that anger them slightly. Sometimes we do things that anger them greatly. But we all mess up sometimes and, and do things that anger our parents. And so, or if you have children, you, you, you'll experience that. They'll hack you off sometimes. And it's because you love them so much and you're so emotionally involved with them, it's so easy for them sometimes to make you mad. It doesn't mean you don't love them. But all I'm saying is, God, when he sees us going astray and doing wrong, he sends people into our life, even today, to warn us. And try and turn us aside and try and help us to understand his way. You watching this video right now is an example of God directing you in his path. 
directing you in his way. That is, this in and of itself is evidence of God's love for you. And what he's sharing with you now, you can share with others. That's evidence of God's love for others. And so, yes, he sends people in our life to warn us. And he sends people in our life to speak to us and direct us in his ways. So that's further evidence of God's love. Acts 3 talks about that same thing. But I, I need to, for Tom's sake, I need to move on. Uh, the, the number one prophet that he sent, and he was more than a prophet, he was, in fact, God's son was Jesus, Jesus the Christ. Jesus, his special, unique, one-of-a-kind son. The most famous verses in all the Bible are this. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God's, God has many children. Even the angels are called his sons. And so we also, we're his sons and we're his daughters. But he has one son that is totally unique, special. He's the son that helped create everything. And that's Jesus. And so what God did is that he sent Jesus to live as a human being. He went, Jesus went from equality with God to being God's servant, God's son, God's obedient son here on this earth. And he did that to experience life as we experience it, to be tempted like we're tempted. And yet in all his temptations, Jesus never sinned. He pleased God. In fact, John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, you know, I always do what pleases God. That was his philosophy of life. That's the way he approached life. What's gonna, what can I do right now that would please God? And that's what he did. What in this situation would I do that would please my father? That's what he did. And in fact, Matthew chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, he was baptized by a relative of his, a prophet named John the Baptist. But John the Baptist thought, well, <laughs> my expression here, foot, I don't need to be, <laughs> I don't need to be baptizing you. You should baptize me. And Jesus tells him, you know, no, no, it's okay. Uh, verse, Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? See, John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' baptism later on would be for the forgiveness of sins. And so, but Jesus didn't have any sin. That's why John was objecting. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This was part, being baptized was part of doing what's right. That, and, and so what's the logical conclusion to that? It was part of doing what pleases God. And so then John consented, consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God. He, as John the Baptist, saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. That is Jesus. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So Jesus was God's beloved, unique, one-of-a-kind, perfect son, always did what pleased the Father. And yet what God allowed to happen, what God needed to happen, what Jesus voluntarily did was to take the punishment that our sins deserve. Take the punishment that our sins deserve. Isaiah the prophet spoke about what Jesus was going to do. And probably won't read this whole thing, Isaiah 53, just to give you a glimpse. But it says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is hundreds of years before Jesus comes, but he's going to talk about Jesus and his death. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Okay, Jesus, God's son, he lived, he was a man of sorrows. He was familiar with suffering. You're suffering. He suffered. He was very familiar with it. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We did not value him. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, for the things that we do wrong. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I'm going to stop there and I encourage you again to read the rest of the chapter. But the punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that enabled us to have, be at peace with God, at peace with it in relationship with our Father, that punishment went on Jesus. And by the wounds of Jesus and the death of Jesus, we're healed. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we repent and make the decision to follow Jesus, to follow God, obey them, and not live according to our own ways. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God washes away our sins. God forgives us our sins. He can give us forgiveness because someone, someone who qualified to take our punishment took it for us. And so now God's like, God is willing to forgive us and declare us innocent because someone took our guilt for us. Now, why would God and Jesus go to such extreme lengths? The last evidence I love I want to give to you is because they want to be in eternal relationship with us. An eternal relationship as a family. As a family. Revelation chapter 21, John that I mentioned earlier, the Apostle John gets a vision, a glimpse of the life that is coming. God's going to, there's going to be a day of judgment. There's going to be a day of resurrection. Both God is going to judge both the living and the dead when he decides to bring this phase of existence to a close. And so chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. I will read that again. There will be no more death or mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Eternal life with God our Father living right among us, and we being his sons and his daughters. But there is this warning. God is always honest about his wrath. Verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's that place that you've heard of called hell. This is the second death. Now, you may hear this and you may think, well, foot. You know, I'm I'm that verse eight. I'm that coward or whatever. Hey, let me tell you, you may think it is, you know, going to this, think you've messed up too much. Uh Uh-uh. See the parable of the lost son, the the parable of the prodigal son. You have not messed up too much. It is a story about a son who completely rebelled against his father, did all sorts of wild things in life. And in desperation, came back to his father, admitted his sin. His father ran to him, embraced him and kissed him and and rejoiced that his son had returned. You've not messed up too much. I have been the coward. I have been unbelieving. I have been vile. I've not murdered anybody literally, but my cowardice can kill somebody's spirit. They can get somebody killed spiritually. I have been sexually immoral. I have not practiced magic arts, but I have been an idolater. I've idolized sports, for example, and all, you know, I've been a liar. I've been all these things, but I put my faith in Jesus. I'm following him now and, and I'm not perfect. I am struggling on a daily basis, but God is with me and he will be with you. He will be with the one you love. Just turn to him and follow him. He loves you and the ones you love and everybody around you deeply. Deeply. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening.